Hello and welcome to episode 377 of the Keto Diet Podcast. We have a really fun one today. We're talking about changing up how you eat on your ketogenic diet. I don't know about you, but eating low carb, ketogenic, wherever you are on this spectrum of places, it can get really monotonous. Like I, in one of my podcast intros for quite a long time, I always said that I liked to dip my pork rinds in avocado oil mayo, which I loved for so long. But I will tell you right now, that combination now, even the thought of it makes me want to puke. I've had way too much. And I think the beauty of a ketogenic diet, a low carb diet, is that it's so simple. When you get into the groove and you find the things that work for you, you will eat the same things over and over and over and over. Another one of my really common combos that I've had for far too long is macadamia nuts with salt and coconut oil. And I would crush it up or I would have them whole and I would just like mix it up like a soup and eat it. I cannot even do that anymore. But we get into these ruts with these really quick and easy, I guess you could call them meals, but I wanted to have a chef on (laughs) to talk with us about how to make it quick and easy and actually nutritious and delicious and something you could share with a friend and they wouldn't be like, "Ooh, why are you serving me coconut oil macadamia nut soup? This is disgusting. So (laughs) we're talking about how to love your food, how to prepare food for friends and family, different combinations of flavors, how to get inspired in the kitchen. It's a really, really great one. I hope you really enjoy it. Our guest today is Scott Parker, who's a two Michelin starred chef who's trained at the prestigious Westminster Kingsway College in London. While mastering the culinary arts, Scott gained real-world experience while working at the Grosvenor House Hotel and Bentley's Restaurant 1880, headed up by Andrew Turner. After Scott left cooking and professional kitchens behind at age 26, he devoted his life to maintaining a healthy lifestyle and developing foods for some of the world's best retailers. Not only does Scott have a passion for making great food, but the subject of healthy living is a very personal one for him. After health scare in 2020, he doubled his efforts to take good care of his body, which dovetailed nicely into Dr. Westman's low-carb approach. Before working together on End Your Carb Confusion Cookbook, Scott and Dr. Westman teamed up to create an online cooking class for the Adapt Your Life Academy. So I'm going to include a link to Scott's book in the show notes today. If you're unsure where that is, just head on over to ketodietpodcast.com and look for episode 377. Otherwise, you should be able to just like click around and find it in the app that you're listening to today's show on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, it should be right down below. So without further ado, let's get to today's interview. Hey, I'm Leanne Vogel, and you're listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. I've put together a free 21-page guide on achieving weight loss on your keto diet if nothing is working as a little thank you for being here today. Grab your free guide at ketoforwomen.com to get the steps you need to overcome the hurdles standing in your way. 
Hey, Scott, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. So I just shared your official bio, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, cool. Where to start? So I've been cooking since the age of 15. I went to Westminster Kingsway College in London, uh, where I studied full-time for three years. Whilst I was at college, I was working at different restaurants and hotels in London and finished at uh, Pierre de Terre, which was a two Michelin star restaurant, and then spent the best part of 10 years working in Michelin star restaurants, where I finished as head chef of Midsummer House in Cambridge, which was a two Michelin star or is a two Michelin star restaurant. And after spending a long time in kitchens, I, I kind of had a realization that I kind of wanted to do a bit more with my life and sort of challenge myself to do something different. You know, working in kitchens is amazing and, and Michelin is a really incredible sort of grounding and, and school for learning and, and a brilliant place to, to apply your trade. But I felt there was always more. So I went into the world of development, worked for a, a food manufacturer in London called Oscar Mayer for five years. Not the same as the one in the States with the sausages. <laughs> this was a, a food manufacturer that's creating ready meals for all of the top retailers, which kind of exposed me to healthy meals and a whole plethora of different things. I worked on the Hessen Blumenthal range. I worked with Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Tesco's, Morrison's, Audi, Lidl, all, all of them. I spent five years doing that. And then after that, moved over to, to South Africa, where I currently live with my wife. And I work for a company called Woolworths here. And my role here for Woolworths is Culinary Innovation Research and Development Manager. I have a team of 14 chefs. And we work on everything from sushi to baby foods, pizzas to breads. Uh, we've got cafes, a food service business. And I sort of look after a team of highly creative individuals, which is fantastic because I get to use um, my skills in, in a lot of different ways across many different categories. And then alongside that, two years ago, I met Glenn Finkel, who's part of Adapt Your Life Academy, who introduced me to Dr. Eric Westman. And I started doing some recipe development for his meal plan or the phases for his meal plan and really just was fascinated by this keto way of life. I mean, I've always been a very healthy person. I train quite regularly and I've always sort of been conscious around healthy foods and, and diets and, and nutrition. But reading Angel Carb Confusion sort of opened my eyes to a lot more and it's just, just a simpler way of sort of breaking down nutrition and understanding it a lot better for, for someone who spent the best part of his life cooking and fine dining restaurants to where nutrition is not really at the, the forefront of how you develop a dish. It's small you know, how delicious does it taste? And that the sort of challenge then came up and I was asked to, to write a book that was sort of a follow-on from the first book, which was just an incredible challenge and incredible honor as well to work with someone like Dr. Eric Westman. And I had Amy Berger help me as well, who was fantastic. She was just excellent at, at explaining everything. The difficulty with, with when we started the book is obviously I'm English and I'm, I live in South Africa and we, we work very differently. You know, we, we've got grams and kilos and you guys have got pounds and ounces and, you know, different names of meats and, and different fishes and different ingredients, you know, hugely different in naming conventions and availability. And it was really important for me that the book was as accessible as possible to everybody wherever they were. So so what's great in the book is that we do have the grams and the, and the pounds and ounces and, and made sure that, you know, all of the ingredients are readily available in, in most supermarkets. So I'm probably diving in a bit too much into the book now. But yeah, so that's how I started working with Dr. Eric Westman and the book then came from that. And we've now 
been on shelves or been available to buy for oh, about three weeks now. That's so exciting. Yeah, we had um, Amy Berger and Dr. Eric Westman on the show in episode 287 talking about their book. And it's so cool to now have you on talking about that second phase about cooking. And I got to tell you, I'm Canadian. And so we do like a mishmash of like grams and cups and teaspoons and ounces and all sorts of it's kind of a merging of things. And when I was writing my book, I chose to do the same thing of like, I'm just going to include all of it. So everyone can decide how to measure this thing. <laughs> Absolutely. But you know what made it really difficult is to, that's fine. And that's the route I went and that's how we've done it. But then trying to do the nutrition. So I did all of the, the nutritional equations myself. I, I worked off three different platforms to work out because, you know, someone's cup of spinach versus, you know, someone else's cup of spinach could be a completely different cup. Are they going to pack it in there? Are they going to, you know, just lightly put it in there? So, yeah, it was a real challenge. But, you know, I think that we've got to a really good place. And like I say, it's accessible now to, to a wider audience. Yes, that's why I really feel like desserts always need to be in grams. I don't even understand why you would use half a cup of flour. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> Don't put yourself in danger. Exactly. Okay. So I have more of a personal question for you. Like, did you always want to be a chef? And like, how did that come to light? It sounds like you're very passionate about food. Was that always a thing? Or at what point were you like, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah. So I think growing up, I always wanted to play rugby or soccer or any form of sport at school. That was, you know, my main focus. I absolutely loved sport and believed that I was probably going to end up up becoming a rugby player. Quickly, the realization at 15 when there's, you know, a, a wider competition and, you know, it's not exactly as easy to become a rugby player as, as first thought. My stepdad had a pub in Oxford and we used to go up there for weekends and holidays. And I've got two brothers that we would go and we'd spend our time there and, and he sort of put us to work. And my two brothers were very keen to work in, in the front of house as waiters. But I wasn't very keen on, on talking to people and, you know, sort of, it felt more of a show being in the front of house so so i did the washing up in the in the back and i was in this kitchen and i was just watching these chefs create these dishes and take whole fish from the back door and fillet it down and create these incredible meals and then i'd hear my brothers coming back through with empty plates and you know passing comments to the chef saying oh yeah table six loved that and, you know table eight just said there's the best steak they've ever eaten i just thought this is pretty cool you know <laughs> you can literally create this just feeling of happiness from food, from ingredients. And, and it kind of became an obsession from there. And I think that, you know, once I finished working in the pub, I said to my stepdad, he sold the pub two summers later. And I said to him, you know, I still want to work in the kitchens. And, and back then it was a bit difficult to, to get into kitchens at that age. So the next summer, they managed to get me a job in the hotel around the corner where I was doing washing up for three days a week. And I was managed to, to peeling potatoes the other, the other two days. And it was just... It it was a bug, you know, it was just this absolute joy of seeing something created from nothing and, and just how it made people feel and how it made people so happy. I just couldn't believe that, that food could do that. And the more I tasted, the more I got sort of engrossed by it. That's amazing. That's so such a beautiful story. And I know having worked in a kitchen, not like that at all, but I noticed that the lifestyle is quite a challenge, at least in Canada, where I grew up uh, working in restaurants, there was a lot of drinking 
drinking, a lot of partying, a lot of not eating, a lot of long shifts, a lot of poor quality food. How do you remain, like, is it like that where you are? And how do you remain healthy in that space? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So at the time, you know, I'd finished being the sportsman at school and, you know, really looking after myself to exactly that, working every, all the hours under the sun, eating on the hoof, you know, and eating as whatever you can, just stuff in your face. And, you know, it's just about maintaining some form of fuel to keep you going through the day. We were working 16 to 18 hours a day at some stage. You know, rarely you maybe get one day off a week when I went into it fully. And my health sort of took a back seat and it's completely changed now. The industry's moved on hugely. Staff meals and, and, you know, working hours and working conditions are certainly not what they were when I was in kitchens. And it was something that when I left, it was one of the bigger reasons that I, I left the industry is that I realized that, you know, I can't do this forever because I'll be dead before, you know, I'm 40. It's, you know, working those hours. And, and actually, you know, food is such a powerful tool that can make someone happy. And I realized that, you know, whilst I'm doing it at the very highest level, you know, I'm neglecting myself. I didn't go to any birthdays or funerals or 21sts or 18ths. You know, I missed people's life sort of achievements because of because of the kitchen and, and, and stepping out gave me that opportunity to work less hours and really focus back on myself. And I think that, you know, cooking in kitchens is probably one of the most selfish but unselfish things you can do, you know, especially in Michelin as all I cared about was two Michelin stars and that's all I wanted to do. And that's what I did. But actually, I was cooking that food for other people. So it was kind of a strange cycle. And then stepping out, really, my priority was myself. You know, I went back to playing rugby again you know, reduced hours, I was back in the gym, eating healthily. And it became more of a priority in my life to realize that at a young age that, you know, you're not going to be able to work 18 hours a day and drink Coca-Cola and, you know, eat burgers every day. And it's just a really unhealthy lifestyle and something that, you know, I'd look back now and I'd, I certainly wouldn't be doing it the same way I was then. But but like I said, the industry has moved on and, a lot, you know, mindfulness and, and people's health are, are really a priority now. Let's talk about period pain. The most common over-the-counter medication for occasional menstrual discomfort are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs like ibuprofen. They inhibit an enzyme COX-2 involved in the production of prostaglandins, which is how NSAIDs help reduce inflammation, pain, cramping, and heavy menstrual bleeding. However, they also inhibit COX-1, which can result in stomach and digestive symptoms like heartburn, gas, and bloating. NSAIDs do provide occasional relief for sure. However, it's best to pursue natural alternatives to avoid unwanted side effects. So what's the number one alternative that I suggest for my clients? CBD. The mechanism behind CBD's purported effectiveness in relieving period pain lies in the endocrinoidal system, or ECS. The ECS was discovered in the 1990s and is a collection of cellular receptors that are found throughout the body, including the brain, the immune system, and the female reproductive tract including the ovaries and uterus. Our own bodies produce a cannabinoid, possibly in response to estrogen levels, which binds to these receptors and influences our moods, reproductive system, immunity, and inflammation. And binding to receptors in the reproductive system, cannabinoids from CBD may lead to relief from menstrual and pelvic pain, GI symptoms, migraines, and menstrual headaches, anxiety, irritability, and other common PMS symptoms. So which CBD is best? Because like everything, there is a lot of of garbage CBD on the market. 
I go with Eaton Hemp. I've been using their CBD oil for a couple of years, and it's the only one that works well for myself, my family, my dog. Love the stuff. When you go to eatonhemp.com slash keto diet, you will save 25% with the code keto diet, and you'll be given a 30-day money-back guarantee. Doesn't work for you? Get your money back. Use the code keto diet at eatonhemp.com slash keto diet. That's amazing. That's very, very good to hear. And when you met Dr. Eric Westman, were you familiar with low carb? Did those sorts of things come up when you're, I would imagine at that level of kitchen, somebody's probably not saying I'm low carb. Could you change my meal to take away the bread or whatever? Like how, what was that transition like for you? Did you know low carb? So I knew I knew low carb. I worked on a few ranges for supermarkets in the UK, ready meals that were low life, carb controlled and calorie controlled. And there was a few keto ranges, but I would never really delved in as deep as I did as once, once I'd read the book. And I think, you know, like I've said to you before, when you're cooking at Michelin, the last thing you're thinking about is someone's, you know, you don't go to a Michelin star restaurant to eat a healthy meal. You go there because it's a treat and a special occasion. Well, at least hopefully that's what you do. And then just listening to Dr. Eric Westman and, and reading through the book just gave me such a, a better understanding and, you know, more of a connection actually. And I personally have gone through his phases. Even when I, when I wrote the book, I, I spent the best part of eight weeks on phase one on the diet just to really understand it and testing the recipes and to make sure that, you know, that they worked. And I think the thing that stood out for me the most is that, you know, eating on phase one and less than 20 grams of carbohydrate a day can still be absolutely delicious. So, you know, you're not sacrificing flavor in a, in a lot of things. And, and unfortunately, uh, th there's a lot of misconception. And I think it was probably mine as well is that, you know, when you're eating keto, you know, all you're eating is eggs and bacon and, and steak. And it's like, actually, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, that's really what I wanted to highlight in the book is that, you know, a lot of the recipes in the book are recipes that I've, I've cooked my whole life and the recipes that have be either been passed down through family or recipes that I've used in restaurants or learnt in restaurants um, and just tweaked slightly, you know, just dropping those carbohydrate levels down and just really just focusing on good quality ingredients. So there was a slight adjustment and it was a big learning curve in the beginning. And I think that's what made it more exciting. And I think what I said to Dr. Eric Westman is, you know, this is it's just such an honor to be able to have written a book that can help change lives or save lives. You know, what he's done with his, through food and teaching through his phases, is incredible. And I'm just so proud to be a part of it. That's so great. What were some of the favorite meals? Like thinking back to that first time in phase one, it sounds like you were writing the book at that time. You're challenged by eating 20 grams of carbs a day. What were some of the like go-to things, you know, because you're right, there is a lot of misconception around, well, if I eat a ketogenic diet, it's going to be Diet Coke, Slim Jims, bacon, and eggs. What were the, the, some of the things outside of that that helped you hit phase one that's more inspiring than a plate of bacon. Yeah, I mean, I love eggs anyway. Absolutely adore them, whether it's duck eggs or, you know, proper free range eggs. And we get some fantastic ones here. And just, you know, a simple poached eggs with the fried halloumi and pancetta is a nice one. And when asparagus is in season, you can't beat, you know, a boiled egg and just dipping asparagus inside there. The simplicity of it for me is just using those great ingredients when they're in season. And I talk about it quite heavily in the book is that, you know, if you're able to build those relationships with your butcher or your fishmonger or even 
open your grocer to understand when things are in season, you know, you can eat like really incredible foods. Some of the things that I loved developing in the book was things that, that are dear to me, the cottage pie, you know, I love a cottage pie, you know, but it doesn't have to be topped with a thick layer of mashed potato. And I do it with a, a really nice crushed cauliflower mash. And, you know, even in the bolognese or the ragu, just leave the carrots out, use that celery, slowly cook it down all the way. That's sofrito with a touch of star anise, which produces this phenolic flavor compound that enhances the flavor of the meat. You know, it's just things like that just really got me excited is that, you know, I've got lasagnas in there and moussacas and they're all traditional things, but they're just done slightly differently. You know, I char grill my zucchinis to get that smoky layer instead of using pasta. And I find it's actually even more delicious than a classic lasagna because you've got another layer of flavor that you wouldn't have. And, and the same with the moussaka in there, you know, char grilling your aubergines and getting that layer of flavor and, and laying that up. It's, well, there's so many, I don't know, they're all so good. It's like trying to pick your, pick your favorite child. There were all sort of the things that, you know, and, and I'd often make big batches of things. You know, I often eat just poached chicken breasts. I'll poach off, just gently poaching chicken breasts and leaving them in the fridge. And you can, you know, shred them down and put them into a salad or, you know, through some zoodles and just have a really nice Thai broth. Just the, the simplicity of the cooking, I think for me really is what I wanted to get across. And that's the way I've always cooked. That's amazing. And even as you're speaking, some really, I mean, one thing that caught my attention was boiling the egg and then dipping the asparagus in the egg instead of what we would do at home is cut up some toast, put some butter on it and dip that in the egg. And so that's such a great idea. I'd never thought to use asparagus for that. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. And, you know, even I haven't got the recipe in there, but I mean, there's lots of recipes that didn't make the book, but they're still there. You know, if there's another one is, you know, taking your celery and we all use the beautiful stalks, but those leaves are delicious. And if you dry them out with some salt, you know, celery salt on a boiled egg with asparagus, it's just heaven. And you can go one further. There's a brown butter hollandaise recipe in the book as well, which just, you know, tops the whole thing off. It, It is indulgent. But, you know, it's one of those things that you can have once uh, every couple of weeks is a little bit of a treat and it's just delicious. That's wonderful. I think one of the huge pitfalls to the ketogenic diet, I know that I've experienced it. Many, many, many of my clients have experienced it is just being so tired of the same food over and over and over. Like I can barely eat macadamia nuts now. If I eat another macadamia nut, I even the smell of them. I just can't even. So what I'm hearing from you now need a copy of your book when I have access to get actual good groceries that aren't in the Caribbean, but it's just the love of food and the combination of flavors. I think your book could be really, really helpful for those that are just stuck in a rut. And if they eat one more, I don't know, mayonnaise dipped pork rind, they're just going to die. <laughs> you know, like you just get so Absolutely. bored, like just so bored. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the, the premise I sat down and, and you know, I've, I've planned menus my whole life. So I've, I've developed ranges for some of the best retailers in the world. And it's, you know, I know what people like, you know, we know through trends, we know with, with what we do, we see it through sales and it's a, okay, cool. The, the people love carbonara and people love a lasagna and people love cottage pie, but how can we make that accessible? How can we make that, first of all, easy to make and not have a hundred different ingredients, which was a big thing for me. So a lot of the recipes, you know, have 
have five, six, maximum seven. I think there's a, there's one or two that's got a, a few more. So it's got to be simple, not many ingredients, and just those those flavors that are accessible. And then, okay, have we got all our bases covered here? You know, otherwise it's all going to be chicken and steak. So you know, there's shellfish recipes in there. There's there's prawns in there. There's calamari in there. Chorizo. So I really tried to cover all bases. And believe it or not, there is a few vegetarian recipes in there as well because you know that's another thing it's is very difficult to maintain ketogenic diet just being a vegetarian you know it's it's non impossible to be honest especially on phase 1 there's quite a lot of phase 1 vegetarian recipes in there as well so you know i really wanted to make sure that it, it appealed to as broad a spectrum of people as as possible to help as many people as possible I've been on an iron boosting kick. About six months ago, I discovered my iron levels were dangerously low. Why? Well, because I like plants and I eat a lot of plants on my ketogenic diet. And when you do not combine vitamin C with plant-based iron foods, the iron cannot be absorbed. Now, vitamin C-based foods are kind of lacking in the ketogenic diet. It's not impossible to get enough, but it is a challenge. So I started supplementing with Paleo Valley Essential C, and in just three short months, I doubled my iron level. Extreme fatigue, weakness, fluttering heartbeat or shortness of breath, headache, dizziness or lightheadedness, cold hands and feet, inflammation of the tongue, brittle nails. These are all symptoms of low iron, and I had all of them. Sitting on the lower end of normal iron levels can deliver some of these symptoms. And it's very unpleasant, let me tell you. Coupled with the immune boosting component of vitamin C, you really can't go wrong with this one-two punch in your ketogenic diet. And why Paleo Valley Essential C? It's third-party lab tested as the most powerful 100% natural vitamin C product on the market today. It contains not one, but three of the most concentrated natural sources of vitamin C amla berry, camu camu berry, and unripe aceola cherry, the most potent source of natural vitamin C on earth, which is 120 times higher than that found in an orange. Each nutrient-packed serving delivers 750% your RDI of vitamin C, an amount meant to help you thrive, not just survive. Most other vitamin C supplements are derived from GMO corn and only contain one fraction of the vitamin, ascorbic acid. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains the entire spectrum with absolutely no synthetic vitamin C, just organic superfoods. Makes a huge difference. Head on over to Paleo Valley dot com load up grab a couple of bottles of vitamin c complex whatever else that catches your eye the superfood bars are amazing if you need a recommendation then enter the code keto at checkout to receive 15 percent off your first order again that's paleovalley.com and the code keto for 15 percent off your first order that's wonderful. I know, and I'm sure many women listening can relate to this. You know, when you start a new diet and you come up with your food list and you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. And you go to the market and you get all your things in your basket. Keto loses its excitement over the first two weeks because you're like, I'm going to eat all this fat. I haven't eaten this much fat ever. But I think just that, that excitement over fresh ingredients and challenging yourself to keep things simple but in a different way than the classic, you know, macadamia nuts and coconut oil in a bowl, you know, like more excitement around going to the market and picking up fresh ingredients. I think 
that's a big takeaway to what I'm hearing you say of just creating that excitement and love over the food that you're creating for yourself. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, I I find it so important and I I can't stress enough is, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, if if you do get a copy of the book and you do read it, you know, this will really, the message comes across is that, you know, our bodies, you know, we only have one. And, you know, it took me a long time to realize that I was unfortunate enough to have a bit of a life-changing sort of incident two years ago where I was in hospital in ICU for a week and they found a pulmonary embolism. So I had blood clots in my lungs and I kind of stopped and it gave me a realization is that, you know, we only have one body, you know, we, that you can't just go around treating it, you know, like you've got a second chance the whole time, you know, you've really got to understand your body and, and how you're going to fuel it. And, you know, it, it is important to buy good quality ingredients and it is important to buy fresh ingredients while you can, you know, frozen, I'm not knocking frozen ingredients, you get some fantastic frozen ingredients, but, you know, processed foods, they're not going to be doing you any favors. There's lots of hidden nasties in there. You know, if you strip your meals back to just five or six great quality ingredients, get to know your butcher, understand what those forgotten cuts are. If you can afford to buy free range, you know, especially when you're fish, you know, make sure it's sustainable. And if you're eating great quality food that you know about, you almost just feel better about yourself as well. You know, shopping becomes more exciting because you get to go and chat to your local butcher. You get to go and chat to people that you wouldn't have spoken to before. And, and, you know, then you start to get to know your ingredients a lot better. And within the book, there's a chapter called Foundations, which is a little bit more complicated than the rest of it. But, you know, I teach you how to cook the perfect steak and how to cook the perfect roast chicken, the perfect roast leg of lamb, even, you know, even all the way through to teaching you how to boil, boil an egg and the timings. And, you know, if you really understand your ingredients, you can sort of use this book as a toolkit, you know, that, okay, I can do the chicken and then, you know, I've got sides in there and, you know, the salads in there and you can sort of pick and choose and pair it how you want to. So, you know, there is a hundred recipes, but actually if you partner a lot of it up, it's probably over a thousand because, you know, there's so many different iterations that you can use. As long as you stick to your phases, you're, you're, you're good to go. And, you know, it's pretty simple actually is that, you know, if you need to add more carbohydrates, then you just add more carbs as you go through the phases or you just add a bigger portion and, and all the nutrition's done for you in there. And then at the back of the book is, is the same as enter carb confusion. There's a, the food lists of what you can and you can't eat through the different phases, which also really helped whilst, whilst developing the recipes to make sure that every recipe fitted within each phase. That's amazing. Yeah. I think those basic skills, you know, the simplicity of, like you mentioned previously, the preparation of meats, you know, having cooked chicken in the fridge. This is a game changer. Like to just have protein already prepared sitting in the fridge that you can just do whatever you need to with has made such a big change to just my overall eating. Because if you don't have the protein figured out, if you get home, it's 530, everyone's hungry and you don't have protein sitting in the fridge because everything's sitting in the freezer, you're probably going to order pizza. <laughs> like, I mean, 100%. so having the protein. Yeah. That is so, so true. And you're like, and you panic and then you're like, okay, it's too late. And then by the time, and, the, and then that's it, you, you fall straight back into your loop. And that is such a great point is that I really feel that even myself, and when I was on phase one, I was very strict on it and, you know, I and looked and felt and was in the best shape of my life. But, you know, that thing, if I wasn't doing my prep and I wasn't ready for dinner and I didn't have things there, you're very easily swayed into going down to that rabbit hole on picking on, you know, oh, 
okay, well, maybe I've actually got some bagels or something in the fridge or the freezer, and that's going to be quick to toast. And, you know, it's, it's very quick to move out of phase one. It's only 20 grams. So, yeah, meal prep is something that I can't speak highly of enough. A, a lot of the recipes in the book are serves one, which makes it very easy to, to scale up. And also understanding not everybody in a household will perhaps eat the same way. So it's nice that, you know, you could perhaps have phase one for one person, phase two for another, and there's different iterations within the book. But meal prep is, is a big key. It's so true. And I think there's a misconception around prep that takes a lot of time. I know when I was doing weightlifting and a whole bunch of stuff, I would spend way too much prepping food, like way too much time. I think it can be done smart so that you're not spending, you know, when people say meal prep, I know a lot of people who are probably around their forties now remember that time where we all thought prepping was great. And we would all have like our food all prepped up before going to the gym and all the things that was pretty trendy a couple of years ago. But now, I mean, perhaps 20 minutes every couple of days where I'm just prepping a bunch of stuff and putting it in the fridge. And it really doesn't take that long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as long as your proteins are there and they're handy and, you know, vegetables, that they're, 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 I mean, most of the time you can eat just blanched, just, you know, dipped into hot water and, you know, just to break that enzyme down or even just char them or even raw, you know, it's, it's very simple. As long as your proteins are sussed, then you're pretty much good to go. So you mentioned servings of one in your book. How does this incorporate into cooking for the family? Do you get into that? How, how does one manage that situation? Yeah. So, I mean, once you go through to the foundations sort of chapter, they are bigger joints, you know, it's whole chickens and whole cuts of meat. And then I've attached sides to it. So you can sort of flex those things. Where you come to things like the fish pies, the cottage pies, the misakas, they're all serves to, just because the reality is to prep and cook, you know, to slow cook a ragu for one portion is just not realistic. So, you know, at least if you do it for two, uh, you can freeze those portions down or you can scale that up to four. So I really tried to make sure that, you know, that you can add on to that as well. So just because you've got a cottage pie, doesn't mean that you can't have a really nice side of roasted squash or there's marrow in there or zucchinis, or even there's a nice, one of my favorite snacks in the book is just crispy halloumi sticks. You know, halloumi is often so overlooked and it's just, if it's cooked and crisped up properly, just with a squeeze of lemon juice and a pinch of salt, it's just such an incredible side or snack to have, you know, it's quick to make. Um, is it's a crowd pleaser as well. Everybody loves it. Okay, so I got to ask, what's halloumi? <laughs> really, you don't have halloumi? Oh no, I don't. I, <laughs> Maybe I, I, we I don't even something think different. I, I was going to say, I don't even think there is another name for it. So halloumi is, it's a cheese, but it's very dense. And often what you do, it, it's Greek. It's a cross between cow and sheep of milk. And it's a, a very thick, dense cheese. But what you do with it is you cut it and then you fry it in a pan. And the outside will go super crispy. And the inside is almost like a, a chewy but tender sort of taste to it. And it, it doesn't carry too much of a strong taste, almost like a kind of feta-esque, I guess, sort of taste to it. But the lemon juice at the end and the salt, it just it's almost just like a crispy chip, but, you know, a piece of cheese. And it's super high in protein. It's, I mean, for keto, it's incredible. That sounds wonderful. The reason why I probably don't know what this is, is I've been allergic to dairy ever since I was born. So I've never delved deep into the dairy thing. So there are a lot of cheese. If I don't know a word, I usually know that it's going to be something to do with dairy. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
Shame. Yeah, that's definitely that spot on there. Yeah, I'm just, uh, it's, so a portion here is 33 grams. For t- so it's, it's over 10% protein. It's huge. Wow. I know. I, I just Googled it. That stuff looks so good. Okay. So anyone listening who can do cheese, I highly recommend you trying that and letting me know what you think. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So you, you've talked us through a couple of recipes here and there throughout the book. What are some of your favorites? And can you talk us through a couple more to make us hungry? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, so the book is sort of broken up into we've got breakfast in there, we've got sides, we've got snacks, the foundations, which I've spoken to you about, and then we get into sort of this, the, some soups in there, and then the main main courses. And what's really great about the book is at the back of the book, in the sort of the appendix, there's a picture of each the recipe index is a picture of each of the dishes with the page number. So you can just turn to the back and flip through quickly and say, okay, well. Oh, broccoli and feta frittata lovely and that's in the breakfast page 50 and it, it's very quick and that's one of the, the biggest things that i've loved about this book and i haven't seen it in, in other books is that you can sort of personalize your full meal plan for the whole week you know there's a good selection of breakfast there there's a good selection of appetizers and snacks salads and soups one of my favorite salads is the tomato salad with burrata which is a, a like a mozzarella but with a runnier center and that was fantastic to make because in South Africa, we get these beautiful heirloom tomatoes. They're all different colors, just so vibrant and fresh. And just pick it with some fresh basil. The burrata goes on there and there's a dressing that just goes over the top. Once in season, that is a fantastic, fantastic little salad. The cauliflower cheese and pancetta soup is another favorite. I love the combination of the creamy cauliflower with that just that cheesy note and then that salty, crispy pancetta that just gets scattered over the top. I mean, who doesn't like chicken wings. I've got a fantastic crispy chicken wing recipe that's done in the oven that's actually very quick to use. And that's also on the phase one. Oh, main courses. I have to cast my mind back. The seared tuna with avocado, cucumber and tomato salad is a, was delicious. Very, very good. The black pepper chicken ramen. Again, this is the black pepper chicken ramen recipe was actually a, a recipe that came up with because I had lots of leftovers. It was, we did a roast chicken on the, on the Sunday. I picked the roast chicken down. I made a broth with the bones. Then that broth was sort of the ramen broth. I put zucchini noodles in there, boiled egg in there, the pulled chicken, some coriander, lots of crap black pepper, and a touch of soy sauce. I mean, it was that simple and it was that delicious. And it's really, I mean, a lot of the recipes are that simple and easy to make. And we've got everything in there from, from lamb to haddock, pork. We've got all different types of fish. There's even a, a more marinière, a traditional mussels recipe in there. Yeah, it's, it, I don't have a favorite. There's so many good ones. <laughs> it's difficult. Chicken curry is actually very good. So chicken curry is a British, is actually a British, it's the, the national dish of Britain. So that was quite a nice one to put in there. So there's lots of little, there's lots of British dishes. There's a few South African dishes in there. There's a few Italian dishes in there, a couple of American dishes in there. So yeah, there really is something, something for everyone. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. 
Wow. Do you know whether or not there is a low carb book that's been created by an actual chef? Because I, this is probably the first time I've actually heard of like a properly trained human being. (laughs) You know, I am not one of those. I'm just a girl in her kitchen figuring things out as she goes, you know, so your cooking style is going to be way, way more awesome than mine. (laughs) But do you know of any other books out there that keep it simple? I can't think of one. I'm really excited to physically check it out. This is great. No, I, th- I think there was one of the things that we, we did discuss with the publishers that this would be probably the first one of uh, someone who's been a two mission star head chef and, and a collaboration with with a doctor. And then, you know, that's what made this so powerful for me and something that, you know, I just had to do is that, you know, it's, and I think that there's a lot of people who have, and I've seen a lot of books and they're great, you know, and I, and, and they work. And I think one of the, the scary things for me that I needed to keep reminding myself of was that I'm not creating recipes for chefs. I'm creating recipes for people who perhaps have never cooked before. And I think one of the yeah, the biggest challenges is always that you know, the book is there to inspire people. That, and I want people to buy this book. I want them to get it mucky. I want them to page through it. I want them to use the recipes time and time again. I don't want it to be sat on a coffee table there collecting dust. So I always had to make sure, you know, whatever the recipes that I wanted to do or sort of to put into the book was making them as simple as possible, you know, to make sure that as, as you read through the recipe, there's, you know, five points of how you use, how you're going to cook it. And, you know, most of the recipes are all one pan or one tray in the oven. So there's minimal washing up. You know, I wanted to make sure that it was as clear that right at the top, it says which phase you're in, how many it serves, the ingredients, again, five, six ingredients, keeping it as simple as possible. Because I think a lot of people can be intimidated the fact, you know, a professional chef has written a keto or a low-carb book. And that was something that we worked very hard with the publisher and, and Amy was instrumental in keeping me on track there as well. And just making sure that, it, you know, that people could pick it up and not feel intimidated by any of the recipes and just make sure they all are delicious and appealing to as many people as possible. I'm so glad you mentioned that. We have friends and and they shared a cookie recipe with me. And this lady is like the Martha Stewart of, that I know. And I didn't understand anything that it was telling me to do. Like there were all these bowls and all these fancy things. And I'm like, aren't these chocolate chip cookies? Like how, how complicated can this be? I just can't even with this recipe. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that because that is, it's overwhelming. You're starting a new diet, the last thing you need, or, or you're wanting to get inspired again. You've been keto for a while and kind of fallen off the waist side because it's just not inspiring and you're tired of the same old thing. It can be really scary to think that you're going to have to have eight different bowls. And I don't even know the words that were used. I can't even come up with anything, but it was just like, I don't even know what you're telling me to do with this batter. People switch off. I switch off. Even when I see complicated recipes now, I just said, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to spend 45 minutes reading the recipe before I even start cooking. You know, I want it to be there in my face and understanding that that's the five points and I can be done in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Completely. And something you did note too, just as you were speaking about all the different recipes and the ones that came to your mind, what I saw too is just recipes that you could feel good about introducing to your friends and family and to be like, wow, what is this? This is delicious. Because some keto stuff, you're like, yeah, this is just a me recipe. I can't give slop to my friends. You know, like it might taste good, but it doesn't necessarily look all that appetizing. So that's something I heard as well as you were chatting about some of the recipes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just because you're on keto doesn't mean that you have to eat slop, you know, (laughs) that I think that that was 
the book is there to show you that you know you don't need even the book you don't even have to be on a keto diet to eat the recipes from this book you know they're just the starting point is they're bloody delicious that's the starting point of this book you know and have we have they been manipulated to fit into the phases yeah absolutely and that's you know what's going to help people return back to to good health but you know really the premise of the book is a hundred delicious recipes that's been developed not just in the two years that the, the book took to write but my whole life my whole career i've you know been developing recipes like this and and it's just an accumulation of of all those things and hopefully that people will pick this book up time and time again and keep cooking from it yes i have a couple of those cookbooks that i've had to order again because they're so messy and pages are stuck together and that's oh i treasure those those little nuggets okay awesome well scott thank you so much for coming on the show today i'm going to include the link to your book in the show notes for all those listening the show notes can be accessed wherever your podcast player is just kind of click around look for show notes if you still can't find it just go to ketodietpodcast.com and look for the notes for episode 377 so you can check those out and yeah scott again thank you so much for coming on the show Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you really enjoyed our conversation with Scott. And I don't know about you, but after recording, I was so hungry and I cannot wait to get my paws on some fresh asparagus. It's really hard to come by where I am and dip it in some cooked eggs. That is just such a great idea. Okay. I will see you back here for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.